Welcome to the Basilea Hollywood Podcast, a community of friends committed to the message and practice of Jesus and His Kingdom. So we are going to read the Bible a little bit and talk about it. And so if you have something you're going to access the Bible with, you can go to Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. It will be on the screen as well. Okay. While he, which is Jesus, was still speaking to the crowds, his mother and his brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. But to the one who had told him this, Jesus replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. The connection with the story and the message, I think, is by now obvious. So... um, This event happens. Jesus takes the opportunity to pretty much redefine who his family is. And I think for the most part, we'd say family is pretty important in kind of the world that we know. But in the time when these words were spoken, in the time and place where Jesus lived, uh, family was even more central to people's lives because basically family was all you had. There was no social program. There was no safety net. Um, You had yourself and your household and you had other family and basically if you didn't get support from your own um, means or from your family, you're out of luck. And so family is extraordinarily important and a sense of dedication and commitment is extraordinarily important. Also, uh, the Ten Commandments were kind of the, the cornerstone of life in Jesus' day in Israel And the fifth commandment says, honor your father and your mother. And so there's this very strong sense of obligation to parents. There's certain expectations, certain um, obligations, and then lots of stuff like that. Family is also really important to identity because uh, if you read the Old Testament, you'll see over and over again, if a Jewish man is introduced, you pretty much have to say who his father is too, right? Joshua, son of Nun, David, son of Jesse, and so on. That's like almost part of your name. So your identity is wrapped up in your family, in your line. Um, Family also implied a vocation. So nowadays, uh, you grow up, you decide what you want to be or who you want to be or something, or you fall into some line of work, or you go off to college and discover what you're interested in or something like that. And none of that was a thing uh, at this time. So if you're a Jewish boy and your father's a carpenter, you know for your whole life you're going to be a carpenter. If your dad's a priest, you're going to be a priest. If your dad is a fisherman, you're going to be a fisherman and so on. That's just how it basically worked. So family uh, implied a vocation. You, you grew up to be part of the family business. And so pretty much, maybe not every area of life, but nearly every area of life is completely and utterly wrapped up in family. It's completely central. It's sort of the, the air you breathe in this world. And so to challenge what people assumed about family... Uh, may seem like a big deal to us, but probably it is going to seem nowhere near as big of a thing, as profound of a thing to say, as it did when Jesus said it. It is, in fact, probably scandalous for him to redefine who his family is. Uh, I think that 
that the way he does this suggests actually a radical change, not just in, you know, we can use family language to express kind of warm, fuzzy feelings we have towards each other, but this is like a radical change in priorities, in allegiance, in identity, and all the rest. Uh, and, and it doesn't look like Jesus uh, abandoned his mother and brothers and so forth, because we do see, you know, in John's gospel, Jesus is on the cross, and he sort of commends his mother to the care of the beloved disciple. He's not, he doesn't cease to care about his mom. I don't think that being a Christian means you have to stop loving your mom. Uh, you know, James was one of Jesus' brothers, who was one of the key leaders in the early church. Jude was another important figure in the early church who was a brother of Jesus. It doesn't seem like he was estranged from his family, but on this occasion, he does sort of say, even more than, you know, as important, what I'm seeing is as important as that set of obligations are, as important as that relationship is, first and foremost, my family is those who do the will of God. This other formulation of family is actually even higher priority. And one thing I, one thing I skipped over in my notes, but it's worth saying. Uh, I've mentioned before, I have a, a buddy who is uh, a dear friend who's a missionary in Istanbul, which is in Turkey, which is a Muslim nation. And as a result, Islam kind of pervades everything that people know and everything that people understand themselves to be. And so if a Turkish person decides to become a Christian, it's pretty much a given. Their entire family and all their friends are going to disown them. That's just part of what it means to say yes to Jesus. Not very many people do for that reason. It's kind of a hard sell. But when they do, the church is quite literally their new family. They do not have anybody else. So they get that when they say yes to Jesus, they have signed on to a radically different identity, a radically different set of priorities, a radically different set of allegiances. It changes everything. For a lot of us, I think it's hard to see it that way, especially if we grew up uh, in the church, because this is what we've known. Uh, it's hard to see it as that radical of a transformation, and yet I think we need to see it that way. So what kind of new thing is Jesus talking about? He says that his family is those who do the will of his Father in heaven. So yes, uh, on the one hand, there is this important uh, relationship to the Father, and I think um, a lot of us really find that touching, that, that God is our Father. Like a Father, he loves us, whether we're good or bad. Like a Father, he's ruthlessly devoted to our well-being, and so on. And that's powerful. And if you don't know God that way, we want to pray for you, and we want to welcome you, and, and encourage you to know God that way, because he's available to you that way. And that can be transformative, especially if your family was not the best example of the love of the Father. Um, and so a lot of us, I think, have those feelings attached to this idea of God the Father, and that's wonderful. But I do want to make the point that uh, being part of God's family is more than only a sentimental feeling or just a, an assurance in, you know, God's love for us, learning to love God back. It is that, but it's also uh, participation in something. It's being part of the family business, which if God is our Father, it's the salvation of the world. And so like in ancient times, you know, who your family is determines what your life is about. Um, when we say yes to Jesus, that means we have stuff to do. We have a mission, if you will. Uh, we get to participate in the thing God is doing in the earth. Um, one of the things we've been emphasizing as we work our way through Matthew, which we've been doing for quite a while now, is yes, it's very important that Jesus died for our sins to be forgiven. That's absolutely necessary. We are guilty of sin. We need 
his grace, which he makes freely available to us. But just having our sins forgiven is not the whole of the gospel. That is the way by which we enter into something. That's the way we participate in what we're calling the kingdom of God or what Paul calls being in Christ. Uh, to follow Jesus is to enter into something. And that's why I like to call it following Jesus. Uh, I don't usually use the language of being born again or being saved, though it's perfectly legitimate. And I, I was born again. I got saved. But following Jesus implies doing stuff. So I prefer to talk about it that way most of the time. I also wanted to say um, the fact that Jesus kind of redefines family around our participation in the thing God is doing uh, goes a long way toward challenging some of the assumptions about family that American Christians love so much. Um, in much of the church, and I've criticized this before, uh, the, the sense is basically that being a Christian is all about finding the person that God has for you to marry, marrying them, making babies, and raising babies who do the same thing, and avoid any R-rated movies, and basically be upstanding people, and you've accomplished your task as a Christian. Uh, and a lot of the time, that emphasis on family is an emphasis on the nuclear family, and people will call that a biblical family or a traditional family, and the nuclear family is neither of those things. Uh, so I think it's a real problem that in a lot of church circles, uh, if you're single past a certain age, it feels, at least you feel marginal to the community and people kind of look at you funny or at least it feels like church isn't for you because it's so oriented around marriage and kids. I think it's unfortunate that uh, in so many circles, if you don't have kids and you're married, you seem weird and, and somehow like this is not for me because of course Jesus never got married and never had kids and that doesn't make a lot of sense. So I think that family values, uh, you know, family values are great. I don't watch a lot of R-rated movies either, but <laughs> I do think that that is placed at a more central place than it really deserves in the United States in churches. And so I think the fact that Jesus changes what family means is really important. It opens us up to a lot of different understandings of what family would look like. So I like that. There are some challenges I wanted to mention, just acknowledge. If we're going to regard what we're doing here as familial, if it's a kinship thing, there are some things that make that hard. One, I think, is that we're basically used to seeing church as a program. It's mainly about you know, people showing up, getting the numbers up, putting on the right events and the right programs and the right things. A lot of people approach church like consumers where um, I'm going to go to the church that I like the most. If I find one that's better, I'm going to go to the better one. Or if I don't feel fed, I'm going to leave or whatever. Some people church hop. I'm not a big fan of church hopping for what it's worth. Uh, so I want to offer you the opportunity, if you are a church hopper or a church consumer, to rethink that today. Yeah. Because those are not conducive to kinship. <clears throat> There's also uh, the fact is... Kinship, if we are going to develop a sense of family together, means spending time together. And uh, one of the big barriers to that is a lot of us are awfully busy people. We have a lot going on. Uh, traffic in L.A. is not conducive to spending time together. We know this. If you're in, living in Santa Monica and I live in Pasadena, it's going to be hard to be friends. So that's a legitimate challenge. It takes deliberateness to overcome something like that. And 
Some of us are going to move to other cities. I'm probably going to move to another city in a couple years. I've done it twice before. That does change how willing I am to invest in people here. Some of us are in that boat, and that's an issue. Uh, finally, I think one of the challenges in our way is that uh, anything that's remotely resembling family is an investment, and investments are always risky and costly. And so if we are going to say we have kinship, that means it's going to cost us something. That means that we're risking something. You know that family can hurt you more than casual acquaintances can hurt you. And so there is risk there. So this all makes it kind of hard. Anything that, uh, you know, we, we've been talking for years here about community, and there are challenges to community. I'd say anything that's challenging about community is many times more challenging if we're talking about kinship. It's like an amplification of all the things that we might shy away from or something. So we have some, uh, we have some challenges. The question is, how do we do this? How seriously should we take what Jesus says here? And presumably we're going to say fairly seriously because he's Jesus. Uh, so what is it? how do we do it? What does it mean? What is a realistic way to try and approach this? I kind of don't know if I'm going to be really honest. I don't feel like I have a good sense. I can't stand here and say, I know how to do this because I don't feel like I've arrived at uh, a proper understanding of being part of God's family. So I think it's something that we need to kind of pursue and approach together. I would say confidently, it does mean a greater involvement in one another's lives than probably we're inclined towards or at least uh, what we're used to. It probably means a greater investment in one another as people than we're used to. It probably means being deliberate about spending time together um, even though we have a million other things to do, and I get that because I have a million other things to do too. So I think that's where we need to start. And we do have some opportunities that I will name to start moving in that direction at least. Uh, we've talked about a couple of community groups. There's others that haven't been mentioned today uh, that will be voiced in the coming weeks. I think that if you're not part of one of those groups and you'd like to pursue a more... Uh, kinship-oriented understanding of being a Christian, I think that's a good place to start. I think sharing meals together is a good thing we can do that's not that hard. Uh, some of us go out to lunch and stuff after church. If you want to participate in that, stick around after church, see if people want to go out to eat. It happens a lot of weeks. That's an easy way to pursue something approaching kinship. A lot of us in our community groups have meals together, and I think that eating in someone else's home is a, that's what families do, they eat together. Um, you can invite someone over for dinner to your place or whatever. Um, and other ways too, but I think, I think sharing food together is at least a good fam family-like thing we can do. It doesn't mean, you know, if I have you over for dinner, it doesn't automatically make us family, but it's at least a family-like thing. It's something to get us started. Uh, I think, of course, families support each other in hardship, and so, uh, though I'm inc very encouraged with today's news, we do have the opportunity to really rally behind Troy and Suze and Lucia and Alden and support them in every way that we can. That is a family-ish thing to do. And um, I think vulnerability is a good thing to exercise as well. If we come here and we're all trying to present ourselves as whatever it is we think we ought to come across as, if we're not willing to let each other in, you know, you have to judge what's appropriate. You don't necessarily want everyone to know everything all the time. But uh, an appropriate level of vulnerability, an appropriate sort of uh, building of trust, being willing to share the hard stuff, not just the good stuff. 
um, I think that's really important as well. Finally, I wanted to say, uh, it's possible to have a tight-knit family that is not very welcoming, and it is also possible to have a tight-knit family that is very welcoming. And when people grow closer together in churches, oftentimes it means they're more exclusive, and we definitely don't want that. So our goal should be to be a welcoming family that is uh, permeable, that people can become a part of and feel like they're welcomed in immediately. So that should be the, uh, the vision that we're pursuing.